0: I'd like permission to study the
1: Necronomicon. The legend of the Necronomicon has it that long ago, the Earth was inhabited by a species from another dimension. With certain chants from the book, coupled with ancient rites and sacrifices, this race, the old ones, can be brought back. Almost Halloween, everybody! It is George. It is my tie. Happy hour. Horror Hour! God damn, I'll get right by the last episode. It is the Mai yeah, Tai Horror Hour. We've got the the vivisectors on the ones and twos. We got Hambone in the hot seat. Virtually, we are back for another glorious edition of our uh, of our annual month of Halloween. Month of Halloween, Hambone.
0: As it, it should, as it is, and as it should be halloween four weeks straight at four weeks leaves. straight
1: i am excited uh i don't know what i'm excited about yet we probably should talk about it later this episode on whether halloween has been canceled or not but you know we we, we we got time for that we've got so much goodness guys we're psyched i i don't have any phone launches this week uh things are a little bit better at work i i haven't slept i still have not slept i'm a miserable fuck and i have been for the last three weeks due to my uh, my lovely, wonderful three-year-old toddler who can't make up his mind where he wants to sleep. So it's usually me on the couch. Hambone, what do we have in store for everyone on this Mai Thai Horror Hour?
0: So this week we are going to talk about the Mortuary Collection. It just dropped on Shudder. This is supposed to be the one to watch this Halloween season, and I watched it, and I've got some thoughts. Lovecraft Country wrapped up its first season, and I think it may be the only season, and we've got some thoughts on that. Hannibal, 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 Hannibal. George went and rewatched Hannibal.
1: You know, this, Hannibal, time, this time, instead of doing like a, a movie rewind, I decided to do a horror TV rewind because horror TV usually sucks. So I picked Hannibal. That's what we're going to do today. Keep it going.
0: And finally, he also watched all 12 hours of the third day, which he didn't need to, so you don't have to. No, so you definitely got some thoughts no, on
1: that. No, no, I didn't see the 12 hours of the third day. I saw all 18 hours of the third day, 12 hours <sighs> including the 12-hour live stream, and uh I watch it so you don't have to. I did Hambone's job because he refused to on this one.
0: Yeah, I, 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 took, I took a knee on this one. I said, this is not going to be the one for me. And with that said, one thing I would think would have made your experience watching all 18 hours of that easier, George, is a cocktail, and I'm going to teach you how to make one right now.
1: You did that to keep me from forgetting about it. I did. I'm I did impressed. it flawlessly, too. You're I'm welcome. I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed. Go right ahead of Hambone. Give me that so cocktail.
0: This week's cocktail is going to be a Halloween favorite. It's going to be a variation on the candy apple. Because as I discovered this recipe today, I realized it's mostly schnapps. And that could be a little tough. So what you're going to do is in a shaker, you are going to put in an ounce of peach schnapps, an ounce of apple schnapps, two ounces of cranberry juice, and half a cup of ice. Now with that, to really jazz it up a little bit, I want you to also put in a half ounce of vodka, which is going to take some of the super sweet edge off of the schnapps. You're going to shake that son-bitch up, and you are going to strain it onto a new chonky ice cube in a different glass, in a rocks glass preferably, because fuck martini glasses till the day I die. And with that, I would recommend that you top it off with just a little bit of club soda to give it a little sparkle and jazz. And with that, you now have known how to make
1: the Candy Apple. Mm, I like Candy Handphone's Apple. Way. I am a big fan of uh, of cider, so here's the deal. I grew up not liking beer or wine. Not a big beer or wine fan. I don't like the hops. It messes me up. If you've ever seen me, sometimes if I drink beer on an empty stomach or, or other hard uh, alcohol straight, something happens to me, like half my body like locks down. I'm allergic to something. I just don't know what I'm allergic to. So you've seen this a few times, right, Hambone? I think one yes. New Year's Eve I went down and had to just like I had to lie down. My body's not working right now. You're never hoppy drinking yeah, beer. I think it's the <laughs> hoppy. stuff. see what I did there. I thought it was funny. I enjoyed that. That was a good joke, Hambone. I, I thought about I, I I love the fact that cocktail culture and like cider is fully acceptable today because 10, 15 years ago I was laughed at. Case in point, and I have some alcohol to talk about today. I want to talk about first I want to talk about the fact that I went to uh, the Barrow House about two weeks ago. Before it started getting colder, Alice and I finally went on our first date since COVID started. And we went. That's a lot. Barrow House has a very nice outdoor tent section. So we went over there and uh, reservations, went outside, uh, had a lovely meal. But I didn't like the cocktails they had on the menu. This is a very, like, rugged bar. It's It's fancy, but it's got more of a, like... I don't know what how to explain it. It's not a tiki bar, not a cocktail bar, but it's a it's a place where I know the 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 bartenders are competent. So I just said fuck it, and she goes, "What would you like to drink?" And I'm like, "Can you see if the if the bartender can make me a painkiller?" She didn't bat an eye. Went inside, came back with Allison's drink. Said they're still working on mine. I'm like, "Oh, that's interesting." I'm like, D- "Are they having troubles with it?" And she's like, "Yeah, they're just trying to find the cream of coconut." I'm like, "Oh, that's good." So about. Three minutes later, out comes one of the best painkillers I've ever had. F- perfectly made, perfectly you know, perfect balance of everything. wasn't too much of what I don't know if it was pussers in there. Don't want to get anybody in tr- trouble. It wasn't on the menu as a painkiller. I called it a painkiller, so I want to make that very clear. Yeah, dude, don't narc. Uh, but it was it was fantastic, and I just remember when I was a kid. I used to go into bars. Not even a kid. When I was in my twenties. I used to go to a bar with my friends, and I would always ask for a mai tai, hoping maybe Eddie would just laugh at me, and my friends would laugh at me, and everybody would laugh at me. The fact that I can walk into any bar now and pretty much ask for a painkiller and someone will be able to make it is incredible, absolutely incredible.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the people who own the Barrel House also own the. Uh the, the the place in Nutley, I
1: have it's I'm slipping my mind now. And and, I, and the new fancy place in Harrison as well. In Harrison, uh, The and Greeks Greeks. Yeah. I think it's like Scala or Skaris or something. It's a it's a Greek restaurant conglomerate. It really owns like three or four bars and and restaurants in the area, and uh, they are the ones who do the the Christmas. The Tiki Christmas uh, pop-up. The Tiki Christmas pop-up pop and the Sipping Santa pop-up. We talked about that last year. Uh, I, I don't know if it's going to happen again this year. That would be really sad. Hopefully they find a way to do the mugs because I do appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and Well, uh,
0: what well, my point was that you will never have a bad cocktail in any of those establishments because they hired the best bartenders who will, if you walk in there and you're like, I want this. They're like, okay. And that's it. Yeah, I've never seen I've never seen one of their bartenders in any one of their establishments blink.
1: Yeah. They just make but,
0: it and they make it nice. But
1: it's still a thing where you can do that today. You really couldn't do that, you know, oh, certainly like not. a decade or two ago, which is awesome. Uh next week we are going to talk about we're still going to do Hand Bones cocktail cuz it's Halloween and we're not going to fuck that up. But either next week or the week after, we're going to talk about canned Mai Tais. Because not only are bartenders able to make tiki drinks now, but there is a ton of canned Mai Tais on the market now. I found four of them. Uh, I'm going to give you my thoughts on on how they taste. I've been trying to – I found four. I haven't actually found them in stores. I found only two in stores. I'm trying to – I want to do a good – all well-rounded review. Maybe we'll do that for the week after Halloween, but that's what I want to do. Next week it should be some kind of Halloween punch or something. That I'll, sounds I'll like figure that good out. Rally. I'll uh, make it nice. This week though, uh, we're talking about the Mortuary collection. Uh, you brought it up at the end of the last episode. I'm like, "Oh, Hambone's already figured out next episode. I will watch it because he gave me enough time to watch it and um Hambone, this is a collection of shorts uh, that f- that create one feature length. It's not a uh, it's not like a serial like uh, Tales from the Crypt or something. It's an Anthology It's anthology. Uh, I thought the trailer looked awesome and got very excited to see this. And then really quickly, I was smacked in the face with a ton of young adult.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm really hit or miss on anthologies, to be very honest with you. I would much rather have one good concept for a full movie than five pretty okay concepts sandwiched together as an anthology, and that's what the Mortuary Collection was. It was an anthology of horror shorts with one story, bookending it, and then a theme running through the Mortuary Collection. Now, it does feature... You know, one of my favorite horror actors and just all-around character actors and voice actors, Clancy Brown, he actually produced it. And the concept is, on the cusp of retirement, an eccentric mortician recounts several of the strangest stories he's ever encountered in his long career. But things take a turn for the phantasmagorical when he learns that the final story is his own. And that comes direct from our friends over at IMDb. We're not actually friends, but I'd like to be. And... I really had high hopes for this. This is the one that all the horror blogs have been talking about and anticipating. Shudder's been putting a lot of energy behind it. And for all intents and purposes, it's a very competent, very well done anthology. And I thought that the beginning of it, up until the end of the first short story, and then the actual main story, which takes place at the end, was really, really good. It has moments because it's an anthology and there are stories woven in between where it drags a little bit. And some of the stories were a little too ham fisted. And yes, that is coming from me, your friend Hambone. And it kind of drags the whole middle of the movie down. And it's kind of hard to recapture the good energy that you had when you started the movie. However, I really do think it sticks to landing. And I do think it is definitely worth your time. It's very young adults. There is a very young adult vibe to it however there's also some pretty cool gore and i really love how the last segment is kind of like a movie in a movie
1: so do you know what my favorite collection of horror is and look i can't promise it stands the test of time do you know what it is i don't know do tell me Cat's Eye by Stephen King. Ooh, that's a good one. Cat's Eye, for those who don't know, is a three-story collection um, of short stories. It's it, it's it's short movies based on a, a collection of uh, of an anthology of Stephen King's. This was definitely released in the 80s. It's very 80s-ish. And it tells the story of uh, Smoker's Inc. Uh, or Quitter's Inc., sorry, Quitter's Inc., which is a basically a, a horror story, a horror movie about how... Uh, you know basically a, a company that will make you quit or your money bank back and that's because they will torture you until you quit smoking. Like they will slowly destroy your life if you light up a cigarette, up to and including like killing your wife. And it is insane. I, I love that there's there's uh the most famous anthology or or serial, I don't know what you call it when it's like a portion of a movie that's an anthology collection, but the best one on there was the actual Cat's Eye one, which was not made for uh, a book. It was a true it was an original story. It was a story about this little, like little gnome goblin guy who crawls into like the bed of children. And I think it's true Barrymore, but I'm not 100% positive. This is a little bit after she became famous, so she could be in it. But the goblin will come up and pinch your nose and it will suck your soul. It'll basically like, take your essence, which is pretty much the you know the the main plot of like Doctor Sleep, but we won't get into that. But it was this black cat that like saved the girl's life. It was really cute. It was very young adult too, even though I think anything Stephen King isn't really young adult. That is my favorite collection of, uh, of, of horror TV well, anthology. It is
0: Drew Barrymore. Yes. And it was probably made before she did, E-T. and then finally when she started her star started to rise we're like well we have this on the shelf it's got her in it let's put it out there as Hollywood's been known to do I thus can't. Cabin in the Woods for Chris Hemsworth
1: uh, yes Cabin in the Woods is one of my favorite modern sci-fi horror I don't even know if I can call it horror I saw it recently still holds up really 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 good stuff right there but one thing I really wanted to talk about show—oh, wait do you recommend Mortuary Collection? I can't tell it was like a C I, I didn't like it at all
0: uh, I would give it a B minus. I think that the real issue with it is it could have used some more shorter anthology stories in there, but the fact that it had essentially three full-length anthology stories in there kind of drags it down in the middle. I think if it had like one more short one and the 86 one of the two longer ones in the middle, it would have it would have gotten you to go home a little quicker and it would have been a better movie all around. But you know, I do recommend it. If you like anthology horror, if you like Clancy Brown, I think you'll have a good time with Mortuary Collection
1: airing now on Shudder. Yeah. So let's talk Hannibal. Hannibal is a, just recently got released on Netflix. Netflix has been fucking me up lately. We're going to do killer joke this week. And then I realized, Oh, that came out four years ago. Netflix has been getting things that were on other platforms and they're now somehow moving into much like Cobra Kai. Hannibal has also moved to uh, to the Netflix platform. And I think it is the ideal platform for what is, I believe, the greatest horror television show ever made. I want to make it very clear that that show was on mainstream television. We're not NBC. Talk- yeah, we're not talking like it was on a Netflix type thing. It was on... One of the most, you know, like I would believe, you know, young adult. I, if you were to say CW, I would say CW is ris- more risque than that network. And for them to put a show like Hannibal on, I didn't watch it the first time around because I was like, it can't be good. You know, Lost me, did me wrong, did me very wrong. Lost did me so wrong that mm-hmm. I swore off network television going forward. And while I, I enjoy the Silence of the Lam movie, I also enjoy Red Dragon. I was not excited to watch you know, a network television version of Hannibal, version of Hannibal. but I did. I watched it. I, I think I, I, I got it on iTunes or something afterwards, but it is such a compelling three-season arc, and it's based off of Red Dragon. For those that don't know, before uh, Protestant's Lambs, there was Red Dragon. Red Dragon is the story of another serial killer. Where they use the 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 Hannibal Lecter character to help capture them, uh, it is not played. It's it, uh, that in the movie it's played by by Anthony Hopkins. In this one it's played by Mads Mickelson. And if you've seen anything by him, uh, starting with uh, No Country for Old Men, he is one of the best actors going today. As far as like kind of creepy, very sophisticated, like he's got it down pat. Wouldn't you agree, Hannibal? Uh, Hannibal? Wouldn't you agree, Hannibal? <laughs> yes,
0: and I have a plan too no, uh, yeah, I would agree I, I definitely, I don't know that I stopped watching Hannibal on NBC for anything other than the fact that I was watching it, I'm like, this is really good and I'm like, this is gonna get cancelled because for all intents and purposes it really is a legit psychological horror with some really I wanna say really good and really interesting gore, and the kind of thing that like yeah, they're going to like dip their toe in it a little bit, but it's not going to survive unless they tone it down for season two. And I did not honestly see it getting reviewed and going full bore like it did on NBC. And it was on the bubble for a while. And for those listening at home who might not know that industry insider lingo that I'm using, calling it on the bubble. On the bubble means always on the precipice of being canceled by the network. So it was on the bubble for a little bit. So I was like, yeah, I'm I'm just not going to. But then, you know, this was one of the first shows that the fans really got behind and really put it out there that they wanted to save the show. And so they got that third season, which was unthinkable. It was was absolutely unthinkable for a show like that, especially during that time. But, you know, something must have happened in mainstream TV where there must have not been a lot going on. And that's the only way I could actually, like, Imagine it worked, but it did.
1: Yeah, Hannibal's underselling the gore in this. I mean, it is some of the most artistic, creative gore I've ever seen. It is basically Saw-like situations, and there is this does play a little bit into Dexter. I don't want to say that, but it does in the fact that they do kind of have a, a serial killer of the season that's playing in the background, and, and Hannibal's kind of like the puppet master around everything. Hannibal Lecter in this show, this is before He's known as uh, Hannibal the Cannibal. He has he, he is doing what he's doing. He's still eating humans, but he is a sophisticated psychiatrist. He is a friend of the FBI. He is entrenched in the FBI. He is a psychiatric profiler. He is you know in all intents and purposes one of the most like magnanimous, sophisticated people I've ever seen on TV. And he's also a serial killer. But again, not like Dexter, you know what Hannibal Lecter becomes when he becomes older. In this case, it's Will Graham, who is an FBI profiler. He's a special consultant. He's got he's on the spectrum. He's got some issues, but he's very good at going into a scene. And figuring out, you can basically like rewind the scene and figure out how we got to where we are and see into the mind of a serial killer. The way they show it on TV, it seems almost like a mutant power, but it isn't. And it's just, they kind of, they. there's a lot of artistic narrative in this to kind of get you into the mind of a serial killer without making it too artsy-fartsy. And that's where I think this show is way more sophisticated than a show like Dexter. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Oh, I would 100% agree. I think the only sticking point that I have with something that you said was – you you said uh, gory and violent like a Saw movie, right? It's different because the the gore and the word I was looking for is actually elegant. Yes. The execution yes. of the gore in this, the elegance in which they put into the gore, the artistic eye that they have for it prevents it from becoming a shitty torture porn like any saw past the original saw. So, yeah, it is super gory and it is extremely gory and over the top for network TV. However, the way that they dial it in, it's almost more horrific than watching like just red blood getting splattered everywhere and like whatever was happening on Dexter. Like seeing someone's arm get cut off sure is one thing, but like seeing how they execute it on Hannibal is a completely different Kind of party, and uh, I, I'm shocked that it did not spawn more imitators stylistically for for what it did. It it really was groundbreaking.
1: The contrasts, many many beautiful cutscenes, and contrast contrasting the the murder or, or or execution, serial killing of a human, and then contrasted with like cooking, lots of cooking on this show. You will learn lots of ways to. Uh, to cook and marinate the human flesh and, and again network television. Such a this is a very hard R. A very, very hard R. Oh yeah. On on the on the blood and gut side. I watch I spent the last couple of weeks watching all three seasons again. Um Again, this—if you've seen Red Dragon or the original Manhunter, which is a fantastic '80s but very dated, but still very good uh, version of Red Dragon—the book. Uh, this does conclude with Red Dragon, so you have the first season, the second season, and half the third season is like a special Italy season of Hannibal. They go to uh, they go to Italy to you know, there's a lot of uh, fleeing from the law, and it turned basically the last half of the third season is Red Dragon redone again for the third time but this is the best version of it because everything is just locked in and they got the, they have the time to really the time and the 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 obviously ability to do the cg and the gore right to do the best version of Red Red Dragon I think that's ever been put on celluloid and I love it look it ends after season 3 and it ends kind of open ended, but it definitely has an ending. Like you can think of it, it goes artsy on the very last episode on purpose because we know even if they had a fourth season, they really couldn't because the fourth season is Silence of the Lambs. And for those that do not know, the other network has the rights Silence of the Lambs, so they made Red Dragon the movie in the eighties, Manhunter. Manhunter flopped. It did absolutely terrible. In the in you know just it wasn't a hit movie. So uh, Dina Lorenitis, who had the rights to to the the books, basically said, "I don't care about Sonslam. This bombed. Here, you can have it for next to nothing." So he gave the rights out to uh, CBS, I believe. Uh, I could be wrong, but uh, yeah, I think so. Wherever that yeah, they're they're starting their own channel. So anyway, they are working on a show called Clarice. Which is going to reimagine Silence of the Lambs for TV, but it basically would be two opposing uh, stories going at the same time. It wouldn't have worked. Uh, this is better. This way I feel it's like you watch these three seasons, you watch Silence of the Lambs, then you watch Hannibal if you want to the movie, which I have never, I haven't seen since I saw in the movies. I remember it being kind of a letdown, but I it's I'm, not good. Yeah, I might revisit it. cause I think that's what I'm gonna do. I think I'm gonna watch Silent Slams and then watch the uh the, the the sequel. You know, like Anthony Hopkins, amazing. He will forever be great, but he was kind of over the top. He was a little more on the like like I'm crazy serial killer. Mads Mickelson just does it so well. And it's the way it should be, because this guy was eating human flesh while schmoozing with with the uh, the the elite. And I love it. So Hannibal is my recommendation for this week's uh, retro throwback. It's not that retro. I think it ended in 2015, but I I think everyone should see it. We never had a chance to review it back then. I love it, and I think you will too.
0: Very cool, man. I actually saw something I really enjoyed this weekend as well because I watched Lovecraft Country. Actually, and maybe this is something that you are experiencing as well. Uh, I blink and then 10 weeks go by because I I watched this from the night it premiered 10 weeks ago. And now it's the end of October.
1: I I agree. So this is our final recap of Lovecraft. We did talk about it when it premiered. It was like the biggest thing on TV at the time. And I, we, we raved about the first episode or two and I am curious to see where you landed on the finale. So I really enjoyed the finale. I really enjoyed the finale. I enjoyed the the
0: last like two or three episodes. I feel like this is the kind of series that because it is based on a book and they're trying to tell the story that is in this book in one season, you kind of lose it a little bit in the middle. Because inevitably in every book, and I and I know it's a broad generalization, but in in a lot of books, you always have that thing where they have to go on some kind of side mission, but the reason they have to go on this side mission is because something happens, or someone is there they're going to meet, or there's the MacGuffin, or whatever. That if they don't do that side mission, they can't finish the story because what they what happens in the end relies on something that happened, you know, on this side quest. So it does that in Lovecraft Country where uh, Atticus has to. Atticus is they take, take it back to the war where Atticus is in the war and he meets someone who's very important and integral to the end of the story. And I kind of feel like when they started le- moving away from what happened at the beginning and moving towards Atticus having to revisit that, you kind of lose it a little bit in the middle where, you know, anyone I know who was talking about Lovecraft Country was rabid about it for the first like four-ish episodes. And then they kind of fell off a little bit, but then it, they came back when it finished very strong. I I definitely think that this is the kind of show where I don't know that they're making a second season. I don't know if they can make a second season because I feel like they finished the book.
1: Uh, If you're asking me as a question, if that was a uh, George throw, I do not know. I I have a feeling that with the amount of much like Watchmen, which was only made to be one season, the amount of awards and and money they might be throwing, they might need to figure out how they're going to do a sequel. I, I feel it was a little open ending and they could kind of just like reverse the MacGuffin or whatever and figure it out. Uh, we don't know. Look, I'm going to tell you this. First of all, I think we need to rewind a little bit uh, for those that weren't listening to our first uh, early preview of this show. This is the story of a, of a, of a, maybe a handful of, I mean, it's an ensemble cast. I don't know. I mean, it's really one person and his, and his, Friends, friends, his cousin. They're family. Is that it? They're a family, right? Would you say it's a family?
0: Yeah, it's a family in Chicago, and it's made up of a lot of different characters who kind of weighed in and out of the family and are attached to the family in different ways.
1: Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. And look, they are surrounded and entrenched a little bit. I feel the main character is in love with sci-fi, particularly particularly a more Lovecraftian style of sci-fi, which is weird sci-fi. And they uh, go on adventures almost in a serial fashion. I feel every episode had a different type of horror and they touch on a lot of it, from the haunted house to the to the weird werewolf creatures to the very, very us. Uh, Jordan Peele, I know you're an executive producer. That episode with the creepy girls uh, definitely re- amazing reeked of us in a good way. Scared the shit out of me, but they really touch on a lot of different horror, including even up to an including Indiana Jones Goonies episode. Um, I, I felt like in some parts where if I didn't care about the horror in that episode, it did take me out of the episode. Uh, the Indiana Jones episode, particularly that when I got a little bored of uh, there was one where one of the main characters, she gets the power to turn into a white woman. Uh, yes, we should make it clear. All the characters in the show are black. And this is a, a black sci-fi show, even though we shouldn't really need to point that out. But that is definitely, I think, groundbreaking. I don't know. I can't name you that many sci-fi uh, movies or shows that stars an entirely black cast, uh, ignoring the two like weird white, like witchy people. Yeah. Um, but I, I love the fact that uh, th- there was the one episode where the girl was able to become a white woman for the day until she has, I guess, sex, and then like her skin starts peeling off in this very gory fashion, and like fantastic work. all it gets all over the person she's fucking. There's a lot of sex on this show in the horror aspect way. Right? Uh, my favorite episode of the season: Hambone was the one where the main character uh, is... is, Atticus. Atticus is in the war and and falls in love with that uh, Korean lady who then we find out she's also a monster. She's a sex monster. Lots of sex monsters. A legitimate sex monster. It's like all your ex-girlfriends rolled into like various characters. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. Uh, But um, I said ex. I love everyone else. Anyway, um... Yeah. So that, that was my favorite episode of the show. I loved getting more of his history and, and seeing how he was kind of a shitty military person. And, uh, I, I felt like, again, if you cared about the character and the type of horror in the episode, you loved the episode. If you didn't really quite care about the character or the, or the, you know, the gimmick, you might not like them as much. It might take you out of the story. Do you agree?
0: And that's what that's where I'm kind of at. And I think that's a great way of explaining my thoughts on the kind of the center of the season, because they're do, they do do some very cool stylistic things. But it does take you out of the story in a little bit because it does become a specific horror for that episode. And when you do things like that, storytelling wise, it doesn't always link up and and give you that like exciting show to show to show experience that said overall i think the the show was uh, exceptional exceptionally written the the uh, the monsters the gore top notch i also know as i was uh reading up on it the story is done the book came out in 2016 it's called lovecraft country by matt ruff the story is done so if hbo does a second season or beyond it'll be more like a true detective thing where it goes on in the spirit of the book Lovecraft Country. But this Game story. of
1: Thrones.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This this story is done. So you can have a great experience. If you don't want to read the book. You can just watch all 10 episodes. And you'll know what happens.
1: I'm very. So I'm, I'm interested in reading the book now. Because I felt that the. My biggest thing about TV show. That I didn't like. Was that I felt. Like not all the stories were tied. Like I just felt like there was a lot of loose threads. And they, they hung their hat too much. On the stylistic awesomeness of the show and the great acting but in the the day i kind of just like lost the story here and then look i know there's the main character it turns out he comes from a bloodline of like racist white horrible witch doctors like kind of like a cult and and he you know one of his ancestors had sex with one of the slaves and and his bloodline began and he needs to somehow get back in time to stall the, stop the madness. But then, like, one of his, like, relatives gets, like, diseased by the us kids. And, like, it just goes on too many tangents, and i lost what the main crux of the story is. I, I was kind of, oh, it, they were trying, and then the bad guys were all trying to find, like, the the fountain of youth, which might have been inside of him by sacrificing him. It gets a little convoluted. Like, so if you just peel back and tell me what the main story plot is, it's a little convoluted.
0: It is. However, I think that it's an, it's an adaptation of a book. So if I've learned anything from you know years of reading Harry Potter and watching the Harry Potter movies, there's always certain things that as the books get longer, integral parts of the story that have to get gutted in order to make it to the TV or to the silver screen. And when you do that, it does give that disjointed kind of feel where you're kind of and I think that this is where Lovecraft Country kind of hits the hiccup is that every story and everything that happens is important and cool and exciting. However, there are those little little puzzle pieces that are missing because you only have 10 episodes to tell this story. So you don't want to sacrifice, you know, what happened to his cousin. You don't want to sacrifice what happened to Letty's, to the the main female lead's. Uh, sister, you don't want to sacrifice what's going on with the uncle, so you you got to find a way to 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 squeeze it all into ten episodes.
1: Yeah, and that's where I think it's struck. I think it was only nine episodes, by the way. Was it ten episodes? I feel like I it think was it made, nine. It
0: Maybe it nine. I don't know. What is time anymore, George?
1: And as, look, I loved it. I thought it was a great show. It was worth my time. If you were to tell me, you know, should I compare this against Watchmen, which was a, a similar type feel, uh, I would say Watchmen was. Uh, a lot better, which is strange because that story was also convoluted, especially if you didn't see the movie. But I felt like that was uh, a more linear story. It felt a lot easier to wrap my head around. Look, if this is the first time you're watching like this type of sci-fi, it, 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 it's kind of jarring. I mean, I'd even go as far as say true detective season one jarring. But I, I, I liked Watchmen in that the acting was just as good. The story was just as good. But it was also an easier plot line to understand.
0: Yeah, I agree. And only one loose end with Watchmen. Where'd the lube guy go? I don't know. Uh,
1: the lube guy. In this one, I, I just wondered, like, there was never ever any comeuppance for the the police chief that cursed the, the girl. Like, that was never brought oh, up. Oh, no, there was. What happened Oh, there
0: was. How Did, oh, I, miss yeah. it? did I blink? You might have blinked. What so happened he, to him? I, do you want me to spoil it?
1: Yeah, sure. Why not?
0: So he gets cursed to, because he is uh, a mortal, so he gets cursed that he dies every day, and he has to experience the pain of like a horrible death every single day. Did they
1: show it on the show, or did they just say it?
0: Oh, no, they showed it. He was was in a closet dying, and he's like, what did you do to me? And they were like, well, you screwed up, so now you're going to die every single day, and it's going to be bad.
1: Well, then I take back everything I said. This is the best show ever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, was that in the second to last episode? Because I'm really blanking on that one.
0: Yeah, it was. It was somewhere in there. It yeah. was. Uh, it had
1: it's. To it's, have
0: been. it's. I've been watching. Listen, I am at 47 spooky horror TV movie Halloweeny things. Uh, at, and today is what the 20th. So I'm a little burnt out when it comes to consuming media and watching stuff, especially horror related stuff. So it's in there. In the back third, I guess. We'll just call it like that. I, I still have I'm still planning on finishing strong and hitting sixty two. But man, like I'm at that point now where I've got to like so I got to got, watch I, some sci fi or something. I gotta I give know. you some
1: real talk. I think you overdid it. I think you you took too much of a good thing and you might have burned it out. And that's not a good thing, Hambone. You should have paced yourself a little bit better on this. I think this was. Uh, I yeah, mean, I can't think of Plus sixty-two. I can't think of sixty-two great horror movies. I really want to watch.
0: Well, uh, I'm not watching all great. I'm watching all different kinds of stuff. I'm, I'm running the full spectrum, the whole gamut, if you will.
1: You're a single hand, single-handedly gonna uh, review most of the stuff on next week's top ten of uh, of twenty twenty. But regardless, we want to talk about something else really quickly. We want to talk about horror video games. We haven't talked about that yet, and I feel that. Uh, you know, we talk about horror a lot. We talk about horror movies. We talk about just, you know, Halloween. But one one category of horror that that disturbs me more than anything else because we're like, well, movies don't really bother me as much as they used to. What does bother George? Horror video games are a whole subgenre of 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 entertainment that really, really gets under my skin and makes me uh, scared. I guess is a good word to say. Largely because you when you're playing a horror video game and something's fucking scary is happening you can't look away cuz you're literally that guy it's not like you're watching someone on a screen and you can just like hide behind a pillow or do that thing i do which is like kind of look into like i do the undertaker where i kind of look in the back of my eyes so it's like kind of my eyes are open but they're not open yeah and with video games you can't do that or you'll die you have to look at what's you know look at your fears look at what's coming at you and i have always struggled with horror video games, be it what I think is the scariest video game of all time, which is Silent Hill, um, which is just absolutely terrifying. Uh, Games, even modern games like Last of Us and uh, the first Bioshock, where you literally can't tell where things are coming from and you're afraid to take a corner because something like... you, You jump at some of that stuff, but then there is like horror video games that are true horror, like the Resident Evil series. And... I I just wanted to get uh pick your brain a little bit and see what your the scariest game you've ever played. Do you like horror video games? Where do you fit in that canon?
0: So for me, I think the idea of the horror video game is, as far as like, from a gameplay and storytelling standpoint, horror is always kind of easier to tell when you can see it and hear it and experience that experience at the same time, because you know often not. More often than not, like I, I do run a lot of RPGs and, and trying to capture that horror, especially now when you are so far apart, you're not in the same room. You can't really kind of gauge people and kind of control the environment. Like telling horror is a real fine art and it's, it's a hard art to master. Whereas when you have it on the video game, you got several things going on. Obviously, maybe you're playing it in a dark room. You know, you're enveloped in the story. You have the eerie music going on. You have things that could jump out at you at any time. And at the same time, you are immersed in the game and you are really focused on what's happening on the screen. Bro, I've had times where, like, I was playing Resident Evil in my basement as a kid, and, like, something just kind of like because, you know, stuff just falls over in a house sometimes, like, or you'll hear a sound outside, and, like, I nearly pissed myself because you are in that, like, deep, what's going to happen next, and you're not factoring in what's happening around you, right? hmm So, for me, you know, my favorite horror games, the, and I, I don't, I've never finished them because they were fucking hard, uh, was the Resident Evil 1 and 2. Those are the games I played, and, you know, at the time, there, was never a ho- there wasn't a horror game anything like that, you know, out in the world. It, that, you know, that was, it was groundbreaking. And at the same time, you know, horror... In the words of my friend Stu Horvath, is helplessness. It's one of his one of the quotes that he he gave on an episode where we were talking about, you know, Cthulhu and the difference between, you know, the power fantasy that's Dungeons and Dragons and then something that's cosmic horror like Cthulhu, where you don't have a lot of hit points, you don't have a lot of defense against the dark things that are coming for you. And that was Resident Evil, because if you've ever played the first couple Resident Evils, like you can die really easy. And also it's not like any other video game where you just pull the trigger and things heads explode like you have to aim you have to think about what you're doing you have to weigh all your actions heavily you have to really think about ammo and conserving ammo and having like an escape. like it's the first game i ever had to have an escape route plan before i entered and exited a room or was going to do anything so for me i was really scared playing the game because i always had that like on the edge of a knife experience where it could go wrong at a moment's notice and then for you know forget it if like you know my mom called me for, called for me from upstairs <laughs> or like you know uh, a a painting on the wall shifted a little bit i'd be shitting my pants so that that to me i think was a, a really a really high bar for horror in yeah, games
1: yeah there's definitely something to be said about games where you just don't have a lot of ammo you're right that is one of the most it's terrifying because you really, there's nothing to do. And if you saved wrong, you're stuck. I know for me, Resident Evil 4, uh, the the cult with the sack heads running after you while you're trying to to basically hide from them because you don't have enough ammo uh, was terrifying. Anything that is super, super creepy sound in video games is a huge thing. Especially some of the earlier PlayStation 1, 2 games where there wasn't the 5.1 channel uh, surround in video games, and you really didn't know where sound was coming from. Uh, recently, I played the Bioshock remaster where it, you can't rely on sound to know if the creature is behind you or in front of you like you can today. And it's just you are, you hear the horrible noises, and you just are like, Where the fuck are you? And that is terrifying. Uh, other things like Silent Hill, it's atmosphere. For me, Silent Hill where you're just coming into a town in Assam Hill 2 where like your dead wife sends you a letter and you go to an abandoned town just the the atmosphere what they did with graphics for a game that is now like 15 years old is incredible uh stories I look I have a hard time with horror stories i have never really figure out what the hell is going on but it's still it's still that like you know atmosphere is everything and, and the better quality wise that games are getting today, uh, the better it is. Hey, on the RPG, RPG side, have you ever played a horror RPG where the dungeon master or whatever it's called in a uh, non dungeon s crawlers is like, he has just done it to the point where you like want to shit your pants.
0: No, I've never really experienced that. Uh, to be honest, you know, I came into RPGs a little later in life and, especially around here like you know right now we are in a renaissance for role-playing games and tabletop rpgs uh back when i started playing like 15 ish years ago 16 or so years ago like the language was the cultural zeitgeist that is dungeons and dragons like yes there were other games out there like you know call of cthulhu however it wasn't so prevalent as it is now and you know being a dungeon master, which is what you'd be for Dungeons & Dragons, a game master for most other games. If you're playing chill, you're a chill master. If you're playing Cthulhu, you're a keeper of secrets. You know, every game has a gimmick. Uh, horror is a very hard thing to do in tabletop role-playing games. It really does take a lot of nuance to, as you know, the game master, the dungeon master, to kind of control the environment and build the scene and set the scenario for the players. And also as a player to, if you've most, like most players have come in through Dungeons and Dragons who you, it's, it's just, it's all like volume and no tone is the way I would describe Dungeons and Dragons where like, you know, you got hit points, you got magic spells, you got swords, you got sorcery, you're going to blow shit up and it's really hard to die. Like it's taken the idea of I'm what you mean. I can't just run into this room and just like kick this door in and then, chop off heads which is in a lot of ways dungeon dragons versus the nuance of cthulhu where you're like okay so i should really try to be quiet as i walk i should investigate this room i should always look around corners and look in dark shadows and hopefully i don't go insane like trying to find a way to balance that and to get the players on board for that kind of gameplay it's a little more difficult. It it does take a little bit. There are great games out there though right now. A uh, game like Mothership, which is essentially like Aliens, like uh, Alien, Aliens, mm-hmm. uh, you know Sigourney Weaver style Aliens. Um, that they do a really good job of balancing it out and. Uh, Dead Space, I think, was the video game, which is another great horror video game mm-hmm. that takes place in the Space Station. It's similar to that in a lot of ways where there's not a lot of resources, things are going wrong, and things are going bump in the night and in silence and in space. So that is one of the games that is more recent that I think does a really good job of balancing the, the hey, this is a, a game, but this is also horrific. So mm-hmm. it, it's hard.
1: So that's my goal in life now, Hambone. I'm saying it right now. I want to be the ultimate horror dungeon master. I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but I want to basically be the the RPG version of the guy from Saw. That's it. That's what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm gonna do awesome. it, but I have I set my you. goal. I want to be. I feel like I could terrify people. I mean, I think I'm terrifying. I could just, you know, go a little more Barry White in my voice and we talk about how I'm gonna kill you,
0: Ambona. No, I'm scared. I can do it. You
1: take the corner. You roll. You, you, you roll. You roll your twelve-sided die, and out comes a fucking Iron Maiden that will. I don't know. I'm gonna do this though. Uh, the game that uh, had me on the edge of my seat as a kid uh, was Manhunt uh, by Rockstar Man, Games. Uh, came out in like 2003. Very few people remember it, but back when they were like not quite killing it on the video game front, Rockstar Game made a few clunkers. One was not Manhunt. Manhunt was literally you were uh, kidnapped and you were put into a uh, back alleys where you had to run for your life and there were people that were going to kill you. This was one of the first great um, sneak attack, hide and, and kill type game where you had to use a cover system because there were people everywhere looking to kill you in like clown outfits and like weird outfits. It was the scariest shit in the world. And that, again, because I think it was based more on like, well, that's what would terrify me in reality, uh, was was incredible. I mean, that was a time where there was like, there were bad Rockstar games. I mean, there was the first Red Dead Revolver, which was horrible. And I, I didn't love Bully or the fi- first Max Payne as much. But, you know, Rockstar wasn't always firing on Grand Theft Auto cylinders. Uh, and Dude. What?
0: Friggin' Manhunt was terrifying. The first time that you were out there and then someone puts a fucking plastic supermarket bag over your head and, like, chokes you out. Yep.
1: So you have played this game. You have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I'm sitting here going, even now, like, I don't know, two decades later maybe, I'm like, wow, shit. How did this game not get fully banned by parents? Because this is like, oh, yeah, yeah. If you're going to kill someone, you just put a bag over their head and just, like, Come on. I think it
1: just didn't get popular enough. It did get popular enough for uh, two sequels, so there's that. I never played those. but And then Rockstar, I think, uh, will probably never. You can still buy it for PS4, by the way. It's only uh, $14.99. Oh, yeah. Regardless, that's where we are on uh, games, and I just want to touch a little bit of horror games on this uh, month of Halloween, this uh, oh, My Thai Horror weird. Hour. I'm going to finish up with uh, a final thoughts review. I've talked about it a little bit recently, but uh, I screwed up the name of it originally. This was the cult show that I wanted Hambone to see, and then he ended up watching another cult show, which uh, we're not going to, we don't need to do a final wrap up on that yet. But the third day is horror, and the third day should be. Truly talked about uh, in, in, in a uh, contextual cult atmosphere. I don't know what the hell I'm saying. If you have ever seen The Wicker Man or if you've seen Midsummer, I think you will love The Third Day. And I think it does better than both of them. This is a six episode series on HBO starring Jude Law. Uh, first episodes, very first couple episodes, you quite kind kind of don't know what's going on. There is a an island in in England. It's actually a real island with the same name, Osea. It's this. It's I, I feel bad for anybody who's actually on this island. I think Rihanna rented it out to record an album, but there is a real island and it's got a real causeway that at night the high tide causes you not to be able to get on or off this island. Uh, the one way on or off gets flooded over, and you have to wait till the morning. Jude Law goes to pay respect to his uh, dead young son, uh, and then he starts seeing things, and he is now in stuck on this island with this very weird stuff going on. You can't quite—it's very much like Wicker Man, very much like Midsummer. You know something weirds going on, but you don't know until you're finally stuck there, and it just gets wonky from there. Now, what I didn't realize was that there is uh, the first three episodes are called Summer, the second three episodes are called winter in between there was, and this is what was crazy. There was a 12 hour first person, one shot single take live stream on Facebook called autumn. I, in my quarantine life felt like I needed to watch all 12 hours of this so that I can truly understand this show. What I can tell you is you do not need To watch all 12 hours of this live stream, to truly love the show, even though it is quite kind of some of the most artistic and mesmerizing 12 hours, like whoever produced that, it it, it is an amazing feat of of production, directorship, like I, I thought it was amazing, but... You do not need to see it. So he arrives on this island, and they're keep talking about this um, ritual, this this event that happens annually. Um, and you're expecting like I felt like it was gonna be like Lollapalooza or like the Fire Fest or something. I thought they were gonna go that route, but no, it is the basically the choosing of the new father leader and. Uh, what you have to do to get through this is there's a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, and then there's like they do like the, it's like the passion of the Christ. You have to relive the stations of the cross uh, by their version of the Bible because they feel that like the world begins and ends on their island. And so for 12 hours, I watched Jude Law being tortured in various ways. Two hours of him digging a hole where he was going to be buried in. Two hours of him being baptized. An hour of him, like, it, it just, it was, it, it was insane. Uh, nothing from that live stream really, really lends itself to the TV show that you can't just figure out from watching the TV show. But I do give HBO credit for going to that length to tell a story. All six episodes, I think, are fantastic. If you like the leftovers or that type of feel of television, this is right up your alley if you like cults, if you like The Wicker Man. There's no music in this, no musicals, I swear, but it is fucked up. It is a little bit um, psychological, but at the end of the day, it is a straight up cult horror film, and not cult like it's a cult show, but like cult like there's cults. And I I, I loved. It. I think Jude Law did great on uh, the second half. Winter. Uh, those three episodes are his wife coming to find him. And rescue him, uh, and then finding out what's happened. And I'm not going to spoil that for you. But really, really liked it. Uh, I love seeing the risks HBO is taking with some of the products they're putting on Max. I don't know if this was on typical HBO. It's definitely on HBO Max. But it is a, um, you know, th- this is this is HBO Prestige Television at its best. People, and I'm enjoying it. Cool.
0: I won't watch it. I'm
1: glad you did. Oh, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't <laughs> know you were so anti cult things.
0: I say this like every like 10 or so episodes. Yeah.
1: But like you saw Midsummer. Didn't like it. Yeah. Midsummer was not, um, Midsummer was special. I don't even know how to get into Midsummer. I want to see that director's cut and see if I feel differently. I was exhausted the day I saw Midsummer, but I, I don't disagree with you on that at all. Uh ah no we got a couple minutes left so we watch you watch the vow the vow is the story of the Nexium cult and i got to tell you it's like nine episodes too long uh i'm enjoying cuz the editing is fantastic on it uh this is the sex cult that just yes. got like busted 3 years ago and somehow that justifies enough time gone by to do a full documentary when they haven't even been like like they're still in court i think one of them has been pro- like has re- like given a sentence so far uh i enjoyed it i i have not seen the final episode yet hambone but i up till this episode still am pondering what exactly they did that was like a crime because it looks like a bunch of adult consenting adults in a sex cult well Do i they mean tied it up at the end it's basically the answer i want uh
0: yes and no i mean here's the thing I started watching it. I was I, I I was reading about it when it came out. So I was like, you know, I don't we're not really big on documentaries, and I'm definitely not big on cult things. But it was also the show that you told me to watch because you told me the wrong thing I to know, watch. No, I, I
1: know, I'm sorry. And I watched
0: like four episodes of it. You're like, oh no, it's this other cult show. And I'm like, nope, I've already I've already chosen my team. So it was the vow. Uh you know, in the end of the day, the guy had a lot of real shady practices, and he was. Bilking people for their money and he was mentally and emotionally and manipulating them and he was also, you know, using his stature to do some really uncool sex biz. There was things involving sex trafficking uh, that they were involved in as well. I mean, there's like a laundry list of things that are like legitimate crimes that they did as a cult and.
1: So they did, by the end of it, do? because by the episode before, the penultimate episode, I still don't know what the crime is. I feel like the people on the show are still trying to figure out what the crime is. like, it's, scene it's, where it's like sex trafficking. It's, I mean,
0: essentially, the, the big crime here is sex trafficking. It's mental and emotional abuse and manipulation. It's convincing people to, like, fraudulently sign over, you know, their property and their money and to give themselves over to this, like, Air quotes, church or whatever, and then also I, I think it was like tax evasion, which is you know how they how they just that's always the cherry on top. I, tax I, feel, I
1: I felt like the tax evasion was what they were getting to. I feel tax evasion does every cult, and in this, I mean, they're not even a, a religious cult, buddy. Like it is literally a leadership organization. It's like yeah, where do you go? That's t-
0: everyone. I, that's every one of those fucking Tony Robbins uh, bullshits.
1: You know? You think Tony Robbins is a cult,
0: dude? Have you ever seen people who get like way too into Tony Robbins and like? Really start like spending like the the thousands upon thousands of dollars to go to his seminars. I mean, he's, you know. Tony Robbins, he's a guru. Or he'll tell you he's not a guru, but people pay him like he is a guru. Either way, it's not here or there. I don't so want to. This is,
1: this is breaking news, people. Hambone has just called out Tony Robbins. No. And don't, called don't him you. a cult leader.
0: I did not. And, I, and I did feel, not do I, that, George. And I, 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 I mean, as a person who's in publicity, why in the fuck would you put me out there like that that I could possibly get sued for, you dingus? You I did not call him a friggin' whatever. Don't. Let's not. Let's not fucking do this. We were so close to the end of the show. Um. Anyway. There's nothing really redeeming about any of the characters on this show, The Vow. Is, is, to be honest with you, a lot of them are like voice actors and actresses and filmmakers, and they're they're wait, in a be lot clear, of ways.
1: To be clear, they're not they're not actors on the show, though. They're just that's what their careers are.
0: No, but that's what their careers are. But yet, throughout the show, you know, they were involved in this thing, and they brought lots of people to this thing, and like did shitty things in their own way, and this is their, I guess, their way of trying to redeem themselves by bringing this bad cult leader down but in the end of the day you're all a bunch of dicks and you're all complicit so there's no real redeeming person on this show it's just varying degrees of like you know you feel bad about this but at the same time like you're playing it up for the camera as well so i don't recommend it i generally by and large don't like cult things but this one is not one of the better cult things that I don't like. Uh, there's really no objective good guy, if you will, in this whole thing. And they did drag it on. But I will say this, editing-wise, it's fantastic. And they did a really good job of like kind of always leaving you wanting more. And putting you at a place, you're like, fuck, I kind of want to see what happens next week. I but feel, it's, I feel, it's not good.
1: I feel like the good, first of all, I did enjoy it. I thought it was a very well done documentary. I, It keeps me wanting to watch the next episode because they always find something to hang in front of you. Now, I haven't seen the last episode. So if you're telling me they blow it completely on the dismount. It's uh, boring. I, I will, uh, I will, you know, that's where I'm feeling. Like, is there a crime? I feel like it just like the, the what they're basically saying is the Me Too movement is co- like found crime here. Like there's. They will make it work to, like, make this a scapegoat. That said, like, the one main lady who's the one who, like, broke all this, I mean, she even said, yes, she was branded. She was in this, like, sex thing. She was in this, like, relationship with her dominatrix. And she says, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Please delete all the evidence, like, the stuff, the nudie photos I said. Please do not share with anybody. I'm out. I'm done. And they said, okay. And I'm just like, okay, I don't quite like, you know, people are into stuff like this. Like, I don't but, see but why they, the they didn't is. do.
0: But they didn't do that. I mean, they're just saying they said, okay. And again, this is a documentary. So they're framing it a certain way. So you, you are, so you can see the narrativeness of the story. Yeah. Like yeah, you, you never trust. Don't trust a documentary because it's always just the, it's always just the perspective of the person telling the story. And so
1: like, well, it, that's not true. Cause what if it's like a third party documentary, you know, based on like
0: still th- the director telling you, you're, you are only going to get the information that fits the narrative to get you from a to B in this story.
1: So you don't like documentaries at all. I
0: fucking hate documentaries. I think documentaries mostly by and large are garbage. <laughs> I like, I like music documentaries. I like hearing history of the band. I like seeing the interviews and stuff, but in the end of the day, you were going to walk out of that documentary being like, okay, so this is what they want me to think as I leave this, because this is the story that they told me.
1: I mean, that's fair. I mean, we've said that before with other music documentaries too. you, they control their history and that controls their history. I think the only, the only true way to do is if after everyone's dead and whatever is revealed is revealed, um, like historical documentaries in that case, I think it is you know, I mean, sure, there might be an extra grind, but I would trust a you know a professional journalist who is uh, documenting something a lot more, and I would trust again people who made the vow who were I don't know. It's hard to say like they're they're completely wrong because the other guy was is in jail or wherever he is right now. So you know, do you really want his side of the story?
0: No, ah. I'm not. I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm not saying that they were completely wrong. I'm not saying whatever. I'm just saying that what this is is going to be this is the story that culminates in what happened legitimately in this world and they're like they're they're mugging for the camera a lot and they're you know for this this whole dramatic terrible thing that's happened to them which is and not diminishing that it just seems a little put on for the documentary.
1: You know what I mean? They're all so pretty. I think that's what you're getting at. And I do agree with that. They're just all They're actors.
0: They're actors who are like now selling it for this documentary.
1: And they're clearly obsessed with leadership stuff. So like, you know, anybody who's like obsessed with those like leadership cult stuff is a little bit weird. You see, I just told you, I can never buy into a cult because I just think everyone's... I just don't... That's why I never was in a frat. I just don't get into that whole kumbaya to expand my mind bullshit. Hambone, are you excited for Halloween next week? Fucking,
0: I'm always excited for Halloween. I've it's been excited for week. Halloween since the candy came out.
1: It's Next week or is it two weeks from now? Next Saturday. Have you bought a lot of candy?
0: Well, I have not bought a lot of candy. I have a lovely girlfriend who when she comes up to visit, she always brings candy. So I have every weekend, I have like peanut butter cups. I have Kit Kats, which are now coming in some amazing flavors for Halloween. Uh, and that's what it is. And I think it's better that I'm not buying candy because if I'm left to my own devices and I'm buying the candy, I'm buying and eating too much candy.
1: Well, I have a feeling someone might come trick or treat by you and bring you some candy, Hambone. So get ready. i appreciate
0: that. Aww, get ready man. for
1: it. Uh, Hambone. Thank you for another amazing edition of Mai Thai Happy Hour, Mai Thai Horror Hour. I'll get it right by next episode. How can the kids reach you?
0: You can find me on the Twitter at Handbreaker. I tweet about board games. I tweet about cute animals. I tweet about Dungeons & Dragons. Follow my day-to-day adventures in podcasting and life over on Instagram at John Hamble McGuire. I might post something one of these days. You never know. George, where can the people find you?
1: Hey, kids, confute me at Creative on Instagram, where I post mostly my day-to-day adventures, which is just, you know, me and my kid and my wife uh, just adventuring. Um, that's about it, because there's nothing else to do. Twitter, speed tests. I mean, that's all I see me be posting these days, and it seems to be doing well. Uh, it's almost not new phone launch period, so it will be a little bit different soon. It'll probably be quieter and less techy mytietv.com is where you can find our entire archive of wonderful wonderful episodes and TV shows when we did like our TV show which one day I'll figure out how to do again YouTube's gotta make it a little easier for me guys gotta make it easier for me Uh, cultofgeorge.com is my blog rate, review and subscribe let us know if you want to see anything, hear anything we appreciate you so much Hambone take us out everybody remember keep socially distant Wear a mask. Be nice.
0: Aloha.